0: Let us now, then, return to these verses that we read from Acts chapter 11. Last week, we looked at verses 1 to 18. This week, we want to continue, and we want to look at verses 19 to 30. And I would like to highlight three things from these verses as we go through and seeking the Lord's blessing upon our meditation. The title I would like to give to the sermon tonight is Helping One Another, Helping One Another. I put it to you that what we find here is the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, each helping each other. Now you might say, well, there's nothing really special in that, but we have to get our minds back to 2000 years ago. And we must always remember the great division that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. And that division was a long time division. And what you find is when there are long term divisions, It can very often take a long time for there to be reconciliation. But in the gospel, friends, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that wall of partition that separated the Jews from the Gentiles, broken down. And we see people who culturally would be enemies and who would have nothing to do with each other. But what we find here in these verses that each was prepared and happy to help each other. Well, we want to have a look at these verses and we trust that the Lord will bless our meditation and that it would be for our edification. Verse 19 basically takes us back to Acts chapter eight, verse one where we are reminded there about the persecution that began following the stoning of Stephen. And here we find that we come back to that. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phineas and so on. And what happens is that the people, the Christians in Jerusalem, The private Christians, we might say, not the apostles, because they remain in Jerusalem, but the private Christians were dispersed. And we ultimately would believe this is the hand of God. It was his way of bringing the gospel out, out from Jerusalem, out into the Gentiles, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And what do we find? They went out and they preached the gospel, wherever they went and they tended to confine their message to the Jews only. But then it does seem that others began to preach the gospel to the Gentiles also, to such an extent that it came to Antioch. Antioch. Now, we have to be very careful here, because there are many Antiochs In fact, we will come across another Antioch in chapter 13 when we come across that. But this Antioch here is the Antioch that's found in Syria. It's the capital of Syria, and it's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And in fact, in in ancient times, there were 16 Antiochs, but this was the major one this was Antioch, the capital of Syria. And the street, the main street, was four miles long. And there was marble on it, and there was colonnades all throughout the main street. And there was something that marked out this Antioch in Syria, because it was the only major city in this, the world at this time, that had street lighting. It had a population of around half a million. And it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, following after Rome and Alexandria in Egypt. And this, as you can imagine, was a very busy place. It had a port and there was a lot of culture going on and a lot of commerce. There was a lot of people coming, toing, and froing. It was a hustle and bustle city where all kinds of people were, and where all kinds of religions were tolerated. And the home deity, if you like, was Daphne. But they worshipped all the Roman or the Greek deities. It was certainly a place where you could find a deity to, to suit yourself lots of religion. And of course, with these religions, there was lots of idolatry and lots of sexual immorality that accompanied these religions. And it was noted as a wicked place, almost second to Corinth in the ancient world. But what do we find, friends? What do we find here? Well, we find the Christians have got to Antioch. And firstly, let us notice that they noticed this and took upon this as a wonderful opportunity for evangelism. They had been scattered. They had been part of the persecution, and it may well be that some of them might be somewhat despondent and despairing. Oh, they have been moved out from the mother church. They have left Jerusalem. They've left all the blessings and the privileges of Jerusalem, and they've been scattered abroad, and maybe some of them might be inclined to be somewhat despairing and despondent. But no, it seems the bulk of them, when they were scattered abroad, they brought the gospel with them, and they looked upon these things as God-given opportunities in order that they might preach the gospel. Did we not, for the last two weeks when we came together on the Sabbath evening, did we not notice how the gospel came to Cornelius and how the Holy Spirit fell upon them? And this was, if you like, the gospel officially coming upon the Gentiles and the holy spirit coming upon the people in Cornelius's house like it did upon the early believers at the day of pentecost and do we not did we not notice there that surely this was the gentiles officially receiving the gospel well all the time that they were receiving the gospel Those who had been part of the persecution who had been sent out, they also were preaching the gospel. In other words, what we're meant to understand here is God in his sovereignty was was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles officially so that the Gentiles and the apostles might recognize that this is the work of God. But Even as that work was going on, there were private Christians undertaking their own personal ministry, and they were going forth and bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. If you like, friends, it was a double-barreled approach. Officially, God was showing the, the, the Jewish church And he was also showing the Gentile church that there's no difference. And chapter 10 and the bulk of chapter 11 rehearses this for us so that they would understand this. But unknown to others, the others were going forth and they were gossiping the gospel. They were using this as an opportunity. Surely there is something therefore that we can emulate here. Surely this is something that we should take on board. What are our circumstances? Our circumstances may well be not what we would want or expect. We would want an easy life, and maybe God's providence has somewhat shaken us up, and we are not where we would like to be. Maybe that's the case, who knows? We could even look at our nation, and we could see our nation, what is happening, Well, we find multitudes are coming into our country, and you might want to discuss the the rights and wrongs of this. But I wonder, friends, what would these private Christians do in the light of multitudes pouring into where they had come from? Would they not take the opportunity, therefore, that God in his providence has given to them That they would declare the gospel to them. Oh, that's our nation. I'm not talking about the rights and wrongs about these things, but nevertheless, we can apply it to our own personal lives. Providence may have dealt us uh, a blow that we don't like, that we would not ordinarily embrace or want, but God is sovereign. We can be sure that these people who had been sent out of Jerusalem by the persecution didn't want to leave what they had come to know and the comfort that they experienced, but in the providence of God, they were cast out. And as they went out, they saw opportunities. What an opportunity it was. A church, a church of the Lord Jesus Christ was formed in that wicked city, that notable city, that large city with a large population, and with all the sin and all the debauchery was round about it. Antioch became, friends, under God, the center of biblical Christianity, because it was from Antioch in Syria that we're looking at here. It was from this place that the Apostle Paul began to be sent out on his gospel endeavors. And we know, of course, the wonderful blessing that has resulted under God through the Apostle Paul I wonder then, should we adopt this this mindset? Should we be looking for evangelism, for opportunities? Even amongst our own personal lives, we will come across individuals whom God in his providence has brought us together. Let us pray, therefore, for opportunities. Let us pray that we might be enabled, even stammeringly, even not as good as we would like, that we might open our mouths and say something about what Jesus Christ has done for us. Is that not what the Lord said to one whom he had healed, whom he had cast out many devils? He wanted to go with the Lord Jesus. He wanted to follow him. He was a believer. And he wanted to devote himself to following the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus say to him? Go home, go home, and tell what great things God has done for you. This is what happened here. People were scattered abroad because of the persecution. And they spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had great blessing Verses 21, for instance, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Here is evangelism. Here it is what it is to be a Christian. They turned to the Lord. And when it says they turned to the Lord, it means they turned away from their old lifestyles. They turned away from the worship of Daphne or whatever other god they were worshiping. It means they turned their backs upon their old lives. This is what evangelism is all about, that people might be saved. Therefore, let us be open to opportunities. Let us be ones who see the hand of God and grasp what God has given to us in his providence. Secondly, let us notice also an opportunity for encouragement, an opportunity for encouragement. And what happens here? Well, from verse 22 onwards, the good news that Antioch, had received the gospel, came to Jerusalem, about 300 miles away. Somehow the mother church heard about this. And it is good news when you hear people turning to the Lord Jesus. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. They were delighted. And in order to encourage the new believers, what do they do? They send out Barnabas. We've met Barnabas before. Barnabas, he's known as the son of consolation or the son of encouragement. He is one who encourages people. And they couldn't have sent a better representative from the Jerusalem church to the church of Antioch. They sent Barnabas because a new church, a new work, always will need encouragement because there are difficulties that will come to a new church. And they sent forward Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And what does it say? Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God. Oh, there's a wonderful statement. He has seen the grace of God, what did he see? Well, he saw the Lord working and changing people's lives. That's the grace of God. I believe we read it something like this uh, this morning about people who deny the power thereof, who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. That's a mark of... the that we're living in the last days when people have a form of godliness, but denying the power of. Well, that could not be said about the people in Antioch because when Barnabas went there, he saw evidence of the grace of God working. And that evidence was a change of life. And what's more, what's more, not only did Barnabas see it, but the people of Antioch themselves saw it. How do we know this? Because in Antioch, they were first called Christians. Now, this was not a name, an honorable name in the first century. It was a name of scorn. It was a name of derision. To be called a Christian was not to be looked up to. Why? You don't believe upon one who went to the cross, one who was condemned by God, one who suffered and died and who bled on the cross like a common criminal, even worse than a common criminal. You don't believe in him, do you? Well, these people were called Christians because they did believe upon the Lord Jesus, and they received the gospel, and the gospel is to repent and believe, and they turn from their wicked ways and their old life, and they embraced a new life, and the people could see, well, these people are different. Something has changed. They're Christians. They're followers of the Messiah. They're followers of this one, this radical rabbi. Names can change. They can change their emphasis. They can change the meaning. And over time, friends, today we live in a society where many people will call themselves Christians, but they're far from Christians. We could think maybe of those in other lands who are followers of other religions. And they will, they will think to themselves they'll, well, everyone in the Western world is a Christian. And they will look at places like Britain and places like America, and they will automatically assume that everyone in America and everyone in Britain, well, they're Christians. So in some sense, The word Christians has lost its sparkle. It's lost its reality. But friends, in Antioch, in the first century, if you were a Christian, you were the real McCoy. You were genuine. And the people noticed it. And they used that name to describe them as a sense of derision. What about ourselves? What about you tonight? Could people in Glasgow look upon you as a real Christian? The sad thing today is that many people outside of the church know nothing about real Christianity. And therefore, they don't know what a real Christian is. What is a Christian? Some would say, well, a Christian is one who goes to church or attends a place of worship. A Christian is one who has a Bible and reads his or her Bible. A Christian is one who prays. A Christian is one who lives a good life, who gives to charity. Well, all of these things do describe a Christian to a certain extent. But the things that we've mentioned could describe many others who would never call themselves Christians. What is a Christian essentially? A Christian is someone who is ultimately born again by the Spirit of God. This is what distinguishes real Christians. If we do not have the Spirit, no matter what profession we make, we are not Christians. And these men and women who embraced Christ in the first century, when they turned against their culture and turned against their old lives and took up the cross at a great cost, they were true hearted Christians. They knew the reality. Of new life. And they sent Barnabas to encourage them. And he saw the grace of God. Friends. Do people see the grace of God in you? Do they see the reality? Or do we have just form of godliness, but the reality is not there. Well, he was glad. Here was a Jew. He was a real Jew. He was from Cyprus. He was a Levite, but he was glad. And do we not rejoice when people are saved, when people are brought into the kingdom of God? Do we not rejoice? Well, here was Barnabas. He rejoiced. And he encouraged them and he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. They were real Christians, but what's he doing? He's telling them to continue. He's telling them to be serious, to be earnest, to be diligent. He is telling them to cleave unto the Lord. Barnabas, like all Orthodox Christians would believe what we call the perseverance of the saints. He would believe that comforting doctrine. We could put it more clearly or simply, once saved, always saved. He would believe that. He knew his theology, but nevertheless, he would tell Christians that with purpose of heart, what does that mean? Well, it means to be steadfast. It means to be determined. It means not to be divided. That they would cleave unto the Lord. Cleave unto the Lord. Didn't the Lord Jesus say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall take them out of my hand. No one shall take them out of my hand, he says, but here Barnabas is telling them to cleave unto the Lord. Are we cleaving to the Lord, friends? Yes, we know that Jesus Christ will not let any one of his people perish. And he has a grip upon us. And this is where our Safety comes because he's a saviour who saves to the uttermost. A glorious saviour. But nevertheless, the Bible would tell us that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. That's what he would encourage them. The Lord will not let his people go but also his people are are to cleave unto him. They are not to let him go. There's encouragement. There's Barnabas helping them that they might grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Savior. No, they could not have sent a better individual because he was a righteous man and he obeyed the word of God. He was a man filled with the Spirit. That's why his ministry was so effective. He was a man full of faith. He he was a man ultimately suitable to go and encourage a congregation. And friends, we all need this. We all need some of this. We all should emulate Barnabas. We should be encouraging one another. He is the kind of individual that we need in every congregation to encourage. Encourage. And what was he going to encourage them to do? Cleave unto the Lord. Cleave. And as a result, again, for he was a good man, verse 24, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Much people. Here the church was continuing to grow in this terrible place, a place full of sin. The Lord Jesus Christ was building his church, even in Antioch, this great city of over half a million. The Lord was building his church. And he encouraged them. He rejoiced with them. He worshipped with them. He looked upon them as brethren. And this is something that we must accept and understand that we're all one in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because, friends, because the church grew so much, Barnabas, who was someone who would encourage them, he saw a need. He saw the church growing, and he saw that they needed a pastor. And what did he do? He departed, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. He had encountered Saul before. He was the one who introduced Saul to the apostles and the disciples at Jerusalem. And no doubt, he built up a relationship with Saul. And Saul would have told him about his conversion, how the Lord Jesus Christ had given him him this commission to go and to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And Barnabas, who was switched on, I know a man. I know an individual whom the church in Antioch need. I'm going to go and get him. And that's what happened. But a whole year, they assembled themselves with the church. And the church grew and flourished under, we might say, the the pastorate of Saul, who was later to become the great apostle Paul. Well, here we find Barnabas encouraging the congregation, encouraging this primarily Gentile congregation. But it was also the first congregation that was made up of Jews and Gentiles. And Barnabas was there to encourage them, helping one another. Well, briefly and thirdly, we're going to notice here from the last verses, from verse 27 onwards, what happens here. In these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. The church in Jerusalem was still concerned about the church in Antioch and the sent prophets. And the prophets came with a particular message. And the prophets were telling them, there's going to be a great famine and it's going to affect the church in Judea. The glory days of Pentecost were over. You remember these days when the Jewish Christians, what did they do? Many of them sold their possessions. And they gave the money to the apostles, and this money was then used to help people who were in need. Well, these days had gone, and now there was going to come a famine, and we know from history that the famine came, and many people died. They died because they had no money, and if they did have money, they couldn't buy food because they couldn't get it. And what do we find here in this occasion? Here was an opportunity for the Gentiles to help the Jewish believers. And the principle is, well, the Jews brought the gospel to them. The Jews brought the wonderful news from heaven about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Gentiles accepted this gospel and they benefited from it in spiritual matters. Why? They had their sins forgiven, and they were reconciled to God. And they had a a great hope for eternity. And it was all because of the diligence of the Jewish believers. They took the gospel to the Gentiles. And now, friends, what's happening? The Jews are suffering in temporal things. What do the Gentiles do? Well, this is not our concern. We have enough to do for ourselves. No, they look upon the their Jews as brethren. They bless God for what the Jews did for them. And they say, we're going to help. We're going to give them material things. They have given to us spiritual things. We have received spiritual be- blessings through God, through the Jews, we are going to repay with temporal blessings. We are brothers in Christ. We're not gonna see our brothers suffer and we're not gonna do nothing about it. A collection was made. Every man according to his ability, determined to send relief, determined resolved unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did. You know, some people can decide they're going to do something, but they never actually do it. Very often, people are in the house of God, and they might hear a gospel message, and oh, what has happened? Their conscience has been pricked, And they resolve, oh, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to repent. I'm going to believe the gospel. As soon as they're out of the church, what happens? What they have resolved dissolves in the air outside. It's all gone. These people did. What they resolved. They actually give in order to support their poor Jewish brethren. Here, therefore, in the providence of God was an opportunity to help others. And this principle, friends, is found in God's Word. This is what Paul says in Galatians, and we find it, it matches what happened here. In the practical part of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 6, this is what it says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. This is what this verse is talking about. Let him that is taught, who were taught? The Gentiles were taught. They were taught by these private Christians. They were encouraged by Barnabas. All of them were Jews. They were encouraged. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth. The Jews taught them in all good things, an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to help. And they took it. They sent whatever it was. We don't know what it was, but They sent relief by the hands of Barnabas and Saul." Let us be like these people, friends. Let us seek out opportunities to help. Let us help one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us use every opportunity that God has given to us in his providence. To bring the good news of Jesus Christ to bear upon all that we come in contact with. Helping one another, may God bless his word to us. Let us pray together.